0: EPL twenty five for twenty five percent off at checkout. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homeware company located in Scotland but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk and do check out the EPL index and Anfield index shops, which you'll find on Etsy. Use the codes EPL ten or Red ten for ten percent off at checkout. And lastly, do remember to check out a tad predictable hosted by Tadewa. good boys and girls welcome to the show on Friday the 25th of November and the World Cup first round of games is over the second round is already underway we had four games yesterday as is the norm and there were some decent ones and some pretty crappy ones as is as is the way with this World Cup Uh, Uruguay against South Korea was a bit of a snooze fest it must be said Switzerland beat Cameroon 1-0 with a Brie Bolo goal. Bit of a snooze fest as well, if we're all being honest. It got a bit more exciting with Portugal 3, Ghana 2. Cristiano Ronaldo dives on 64 minutes and is awarded a penalty. And somehow VAR don't overturn it. He steps up, he scores, becomes the first man to score in five World Cups. And it's all very irrelevant, really, because he's got zero goals after the group stage. He's got only five open play goals in five World Cups and only eight total goals in his five World Cups. And for somebody who doesn't offer anything other than goals and hasn't really offered anything other than goals since about 2014 that's not overly impressive. He's only had the one impressive World Cup. It hasn't been like a thing where he's gone and dominated at the World Cup the way you would expect a player like him with his reputation, with the career he's had to have done. He scored four goals at the 2018 World Cup, obviously one at this World Cup, in 2014, when you would say he was in his, his prime, he managed one goal. In 2010, when he was sort of establishing himself as one of the best players in the world, again, he gets one goal. And in 20, 2006, he was a younger player, so you wouldn't really hold it against him to only score once. But I do think the fact That he has zero knockout goals is quite the red red flag. Now, I know that Messi has none either. I understand that. But Messi isn't just a goal scorer. And Messi has carried his team to a World Cup final. You look at how Portugal have done when Cristiano has been the main guy. In 2010, they got knocked out in the round of 16 admittedly by the team that went on to win it. But the reason they were playing them is because they hadn't been particularly good in their group. They drew with Ivory Coast and it did hammer North Korea. And that's where Cristiano got his only goal. The seventh goal in a 7-0 win over North Korea. They drew nil-nil with Brazil as they had with Ivory Coast and then lost 1-0 to Spain. So in their four games they only scored in one game and he got the 7th of 7. In 2014 again he's the main guy. They're looking to him to be their their leader and what happens? Well they go out in the group stage. They lose 4-0 to Germany. They draw 2-2 with the United States. And they beat Ghana 2-1. He scores the winner in that game. It's the only really meaningful goal he had scored in a World Cup to that date. Because if we look back, 2006, consider that Portuguese team. He wasn't the, the main guy in that team. They do get to a semi-final. They lose the third and fourth place playoff. He doesn't score... Against the Netherlands, when they knocked them out in the round of 16. Doesn't score in the game against England, which goes to penalty. Does score the winning penalty. Fair play. Doesn't score as they lose 1-0 to France. His only goal came in the group stage, once again. It was an easy group. They had Mexico, they had Angola, and they had Iran. They played Angola, one one nil. he didn't score. They played Iran 1-2-0. He scores the second goal from a penalty. But when you look at the players in that team, the likes of Luis Figo and Deco, you can see that Cristiano, clearly not the main guy in that team, which got to a World Cup semi-final. If we look again then further on, at 2018, his last World Cup, prior to this one, obviously, in the group's, He scores a hat-trick against Spain. And he scores the winner in a 1-0 win over Morocco. Doesn't score against Iran in a 1-1 draw. And then in the knockout phase, they get beaten 2-1 by Uruguay. And he's a complete no-show. His World Cup track record is largely dreadful. Messi's at least, he's got multiple... Good World Cups under his belt. Cristiano really does need a good performance here. And the thing is, he scored yesterday. He didn't play well. He was genuinely awful. Portugal weren't great at all. But a big part of that is because they're having to carry him. And their defence is a bit of a mess. Andre Aou equalised eight minutes after Ronaldo's goal. João Felix put Portugal 2-1 up. Five minutes after Aou's goal. A.U. had gone off and was celebrating on the sideline when Portugal scored that second. Rafael Leo, who'd come off the bench, scores on 80 minutes to make it 3-1. Bucari scores to make it 3-2 on 89 minutes after horrendous defending by João Canseo. Does the Cristiano celebration, which is mortifying, and my belief is he should automatically be banned from playing football forever. Um, and then Portugal almost gift Ghana a last gasp equaliser. Diogo Costa a surprise pick in goal. Dallies with the ball. Doesn't notice that Inaki Williams is standing behind him. Drops it at his feet to launch it clear. Williams sneaks in. If he doesn't slip, he scores. But he does slip. It allows, allows Ruben Diaz to get back. And Portugal escape. Now, Bukhari got some criticism for the celebration. Um, Cristiano looked rather upset by the whole thing. And Bukhari came out on social media and said he didn't mean to be disrespectful. It was the emotion of scoring for his country. My upbringing doesn't doesn't permit me to be disrespectful to elders, let alone one of my idols. He was trying to pay homage to a fellow who doesn't deserve anyone to pay homage to him. And the celebration is a lot of nonsense. Um, moving on then. Brazil 2. Serbia 0. Really, really disappointed with Serbia. Both the team selection and the performance. I think they let themselves down in this game. I still think they'll beat Cameroon and beat Switzerland and go through. Richarlison with both goals. The second of which is an absolute stunner. The first touch isn't great, but he turns it into a great touch by a brilliant second touch. Um Bad news for Brazil, though. It looks like Neymar will risk, will miss the rest of the group stage with an ankle ligament injury. Now, this is very much in keeping with his career to get injured in big moments. Uh Danilo, the right-back, he's also going to miss the next two games. That's not a loss because he's not very good. They can bring in... I would guess, I don't think Dani Alves will play. My guess would be Eder Militao gets the right-back slot, which will help because he will help protect Thiago Silva. My guess is that Rodrigo of Real Madrid is the one who replaces Neymar. I think it's a role he's actually well-suited to as well, that number 10 position. It was good to see Brazil be brave with their team selection picking Lucas Paqueta in midfield over Fred. I don't know if that will be the case in every game, but it was nice to see, unfortunately, that bravery was not mirrored by the team selection for Serbia. And that is where we stand on the World Cup from yesterday. Now, we obviously have games today as well. And what we have seen thus far today... Wales nil, Iran two. A dreadful, dreadful, dreadful performance from the Welsh. And even though Iran scored in the 98th and 101st minute, they probably should have won four or five nil. They hit the post twice in quick succession. They missed a couple of other decent chances. They had a goal ruled out, rightly so. Wales were awful. Too reliant on Bale, too reliant on Ramsey. Both of them stank the place out. Ramsey in particular has had an awful World Cup so far. And I would have a tough time seeing Wales advance here because Iran now have three points. The US have to play Iran. So that could go either Iran get four points in a draw and US end up on two, or US when they go to four points and Iran are on three. Wales only have one point and they have England next. You don't expect them to get much from England. At best, maybe a draw if England are heavily rotated if they win tonight. But what if the US take points tonight? What if the US take points off England? It seems unlikely, admittedly. But stranger things have happened in this World Cup. Stranger things have happened. So I think the Welsh are probably done and dusted. This was the game they had to win and they just let themselves down. They were very poor in their first game as well, and were very very lucky that a Gareth Bale penalty uh, allowed them to get the draw. Do you know what's really winding me up about this World Cup? And it's a small thing, but it's something that really does bug me because it's such a blatant lie. Um, is the attendances? So the official attendance for the England Iran game was forty five thousand three hundred and thirty four. In a stadium that holds 45,857 there were far more than 500 empty seats in that stadium. There were thousands upon thousands of empty seats in that stadium. One massive part of that stadium was completely empty. At most I would say there was 25,000 people there. At most. Then look at the attendance for USA versus Wales. Again, there was easily 15,000, 20,000 empty seats. 43,418 is the official capacity in a stadium that that holds 45,000. There was way more empty seats than that. It's a shambles. They can't admit that nobody's going to these games. They've got 88,000 down as the attendance... For Argentina against Saudi Arabia. Not even a hint of it. Not even a hint of it. These stadiums are half full. And they're trying to claim. That there's huge crowds at them. It's just not the case. So that's winding me up. I know it probably shouldn't. But it is. It annoys me. Just be honest about this. About what's going on. You're not getting the crowds that you expected. But they're the crowds that everybody else expected. Let's be fair. Um what am I talking about? Oh, yeah. <laughs> the other games today. Uh Qatar lost 3-1 to Senegal. Uh Buladia put Senegal 1 up. Didio made a 2-1 just after 2-0 just after half time. Uh Muntari got one back for Qatar but Bamba Dieng scored for Senegal in the 84th minute to wrap it up and make that one safe. Good to see Qatar getting a goal, at least at least getting a goal. That's They're going to play the Dutch next. They're going to lose. They're going to go out with no points, but at least they have a World Cup goal that they can say, we scored a goal in the World Cup and no one can ever take it away. And look, they haven't been embarrassed in either game. So credit to them. Um Ongoing, as we speak, Netherlands versus Ecuador. Last I checked, it was 1-0 to the Netherlands. Uh, Cody Gakpo goal on six minutes from a Davy Klaassen assist. But Ecuador have been improving as the game goes on. They had a goal disallowed and uh, were none too pleased by it. None too pleased at all. Later tonight, obviously, England versus the USA. That should be a good game. I do think England should win it comfortably, but it wouldn't surprise me if the the US caused them a couple of problems because against Iran, England's midfield was far too open and Iran were able to play through it quite easily. I could see the Americans playing through the English midfield. Now, they've got some injury doubts over a couple of players, So it might not be the same dynamic midfield that played in their first game against Wales. But they move the ball quickly. They've got pace and movement up front. They've got graft up front in the form of Josh Sargent, who will at least occupy defenders. And I I really could see America creating a few chances now. America's defence is, well, it's awful. Zimmerman and Ream are not of the standard Dest is average at best. I like Robinson, the left back, but it's not like he's Paolo Maldini or anything. So England should be able to get, you know, more than enough chances to score the goals to get them to win. But I do think America caused them some trouble. And that's where we stand at the moment. Wales looking like they're out. Iran potentially putting themselves in a position to go through. If America were to lose today, Iran can just go and shithouse their way to a draw. And yes, swearing is necessary. Shithouse their way to a draw in the final game. And you'd expect England to beat Wales anyway. Um, And then from this other group that's ongoing today, Group A, the Netherlands, if they can hold on and win this, will be well placed. And it all comes down to Ecuador against Senegal in that final game. That should be a very, very good game. I think it's going to be one of the better games of the final round. And that's where we stand today. Tomorrow, what have we got? Tomorrow, we've got Poland, Saudi Arabia, Argentina, Mexico, a game that is now massively important for the Argentines. Uh, Tunisia, Australia is the early game. So have a lion. France-Denmark is the game of the day, though, in in terms of the quality, I think. The two teams most likely to go through out of Group D between it and the uh, Argentina-Mexico game. Your afternoon and evening should be quite good. The early part of the day might not be great. I will be interested to see how Poland cope against that Saudi Arabian defensive line because it was phenomenally good against Argentina. Caught them offside seven times in 38 minutes or something like that. That's excessively good. Um, We'll take a break then. When we come back, we'll have some news. We're going to take a look at the FA Cup. The second round proper takes place this weekend. And we have Brentford on the agenda for today. So I'll see you in a sec. Right, welcome back. So, we have one bit of news. A 15-year-old boy was among 39 football fans sentenced for appalling disorder at a protest, police have said. Manchester United's game against Liverpool was postponed in May of last year after about 200 fans broke into Old Trafford to protest against the Glazer family's ownership of the club. It was to protest against the Super League because Gary Neville got them all riled up. This was Gary Neville's fault. Nobody else's. This was Gary Neville's fault. It was clear some protesters were there to cause trouble. Greater Manchester police have been said. Offences included assault, criminal damage and burglary. Many of the defendants aged between 15 and 52 also received football banning orders, preventing them from attending matches for a period of time. None of them were jailed. Now, there were police assaulted. 36 police officers reported that they had been assaulted as part of this. And nobody's going to jail for assaulting a police officer? That seems that seems a little bit strange. One officer had quite a serious facial injury, which required... Significant medical treatment. All I know is if you're out in the streets and you assault a cop, you're going to prison. So I don't understand how people have gotten off the CCTV footage of the whole thing. There's a video attached to GMP's tweet about it. You can see the people who did this. There are two other defendants due to appear in court, one in December, one in April. We'll see what happens there. I don't have have any problem with them damaging Old Trafford. It's a kip anyway and badly in need of being done up. It's an absolute disgrace how the Glazers have allowed that stadium to become so outdated. It is one of the crown jewels of English football and it should be maintained as such. But it's dingy, it's run down, there's holes in the roof. The seats are really uncomfortable, really cramped. It's not a particularly nice stadium to watch a game in. It it used to be. It used to be, but they've definitely jammed in a few extra seats along the way. And they've made it a lot more cramped. Um, These people deserve to be banned from attending football matches. And, you know, the ones who assaulted police officers simply should have gotten some sort of Custodial sentence. Or at least a suspended sentence. Maybe a few of them got suspended sentences, just not in the article there. Ecuador have equalized. That is a thing of absolute beauty. Guy Drinkle is informing me that Ecuador have equalized. Second half is not long underway. Uh, Don't know yet who's after scoring. Any idea, Guy? Guy? Sorry, say that again, Dave. I was talking to someone. Who scored? Uh Valencia, of course. Enervalencia. Valencia. Who else would score for Ecuador except the main man? Still banging them in at 33 years of age. Credit to him. Um, I did see a funny Enervalencia Valencia video going around recently where it's from 2016. A warrant was issued for his arrest in Ecuador for unpaid, unpaid child support. Now, unpaid child support is absolutely no laughing matter. However, he faked an injury, uh, got rushed off by the medical staff and ran away then as the police were chasing him. Uh, the video is funny. The uh, circumstances, obviously, are not funny. But him scoring in the World Cup, once again, is great. Great for Ecuador. Hopefully that one stands and doesn't get disallowed because, no, it has been given. So we are 1-1. And Ecuador, to be fair, Ecuador have had all of the play. Eight shots, three on target, 52% possession. The Dutch have only had one shot in the game. They scored from it in the sixth minute. They haven't had a shot since. That's not ideal. And the thing is, he made two of the changes I called for him to make. He brought in Jurian Timber. He brought in Tayon Coop Miners. Now, Dumfries wouldn't be for me on the right as a right wing-back. I'd rather see Jeremy Frimpong play there. I wouldn't have Davy Classen, even in the squad. I think he's awful. But he did get an assist today, so credit to him. Steven Bergwijn has been taken off, and Memphis Depay has come on. Um, I like this Ecuador team, though. I really do. I love the midfield. Obviously, Caicedo's an absolute monster in there. But Mendes next to him has been very, very good as well. Astupanen, most people are aware of. a Hinkapi is outstanding, the Bayer Leverkusen defender. And that little diamond they've got working down the left, Caicedo and Astupanen as the kind of left side of the midfield for. Hinkapi is the left side centre-back and Valencia is the, right, the left side of striker. That's where all the danger comes from, but they can then f- switch it to Plata on the right, and he's a real danger man for them as well. Uh, FA Cup Second round proper is tomorrow and Sunday. So we have a whole host of games. Kingsland Town, who play in the National League North, will take on Stevenage, who play in League Two. That game is in Kingsland. Cambridge United, who play in League One, will play take on Grimsby Town, who play in League Two. Wrexham owned by Ryan Reynolds and Rob McElhenney, of course, who play in the National League, will take on Farnborough, who play in the National League South. Accrington Stanley of League One will take on Barnet of the National League. Barnsley of League One take on Crew Alexandra of League Two. Forest Green Rovers of League One, struggling at the moment, take on Alvachurch, who play in the Southern League Premier Division Central, the seventh tier of English football. They're the lowest surviving team in this cup right now. Portsmouth of League One take on MK Dons of League One. Shrewsbury of League One take on Peterborough of League One. Hartlepool of League Two take on Harrogate Town of League Two. Harrogate Town, credit to them. Tiny Club who have spent most of their existence in the lower leagues and the non-leagues and have become a football league club, and credit to them. And they're holding their own. I don't know how they're doing right now. Let's have a quick glance at the League 2 table. They're currently 20th, two points ahead of Gillingham, who are bottom. Only one team, obviously, is relegated from League 2. But that's a hell of an achievement for them to have come up and stayed up this is their third year in the football league and the third year ever in the football league i think that's such a good story built themselves a new stadium the whole thing or well i don't know if it's a new stadium or they renovated their old stadium. I'm not really sure. I don't know much about Harrogate, but congrats to them. Doing well. Good to see. Uh Charlton of League One against Stockport County of League Two. The mighty Dagenham and Redbridge of the National League against Gillingham of League Two. Potential there for a bit of a I don't know, giant killing's probably not the right word, considering they're only a division apart. But anytime a non-league team knocks at a football league team, I like to think it's a giant killing. Uh, Oxford United of League One against Exeter City of League One. Sheffield Wednesday of League One against Mansfield Town of League Two. AFC Wimbledon of League Two against Chesterfield of the National League. Walsall of League Two against Carlisle of League Two. Ebb's Fleet United, who play in the National League South, against Fleetwood Town of League One. Bristol Rovers... Of League One against Boreham Wood of the National League. Burton Albion of League One against Chippingham Chippingham Town of the National League South. Newport County of League Two against Derby County of League One. And Ipswich of League One against Buxton of the National League North. So we have one, two, three, four. Four teams from the National, five teams, sorry, five teams from the National League North and South, the sixth tier of English football, and one team from the seventh tier of English football. With a bit of luck, a couple of them will get through to the next round. Round three is obviously where a lot more of the interest comes from. That's where the Premier League and the Champions League teams, sorry, Premier League and Championship teams Come into the competition. So very, very excited for third round Saturday. For me, it will always be one of the highlights of the football calendar. Give me that over pretty much everything else. The FA Cup itself has lost a lot of its significance, but third round Saturday growing up in my house was just a thing. We always went, seven stepfooter would go to go to the round and uh, and just you'd watch whatever game was on it could be Coventry City against Sheffield Wednesday, and it didn't matter. There was a game on everybody be there to watch it. The results would constantly be coming in, and you'd just keep up to date with everything that was going on. It was brilliant, so yeah, third round Saturday is something I look forward to. It is Saturday, the seventh of January this year for those who are unaware. Uh, Right, let's talk about Brentford then. They are currently 10th in the Premier League and they have had a very, very positive start to this Premier League campaign. They began with a 2-2 draw away to Leicester, a game in which they were 2-0 behind and fought back to get a good point. Now, obviously Leicester went on a poor run from there But coming into the season, nobody knew that Leicester would be as bad out of the gate. Then they pumped Manchester United by four goals to nil. A game in which they genuinely embarrassed Eric Ten Hag and his team. They lost 3-2 away to Fulham. That was a bit of a disappointing one for them. They probably should have gotten something from the game. Um, Then they drew 1-1 with Everton at home. Again, they went one behind and came back to get a result. Drew 1-1 with Crystal Palace. Again, went behind, came back really late. Uh, we sat in the 88th minute. They played Leeds and beat them 5-2. A complete spanking. A deserved win. Ivan Tony with a great hat-trick on the day. Then they got beaten 3-0 by Arsenal. They were dreadful in the day, but Arsenal took advantage of it. They lost... Law- they- Sorry, they drew 0-0 with Bournemouth. They were probably disappointed with that one, but Bournemouth were in a better run of form at the time. Then they got walloped by Newcastle. They lost 5-1. Now, I will say, that game could easily have been 3-3, but by the end, they were basically throwing in goals. They beat Brighton 2-0. That was a great result. Two from Ivan Tony. He has been exceptional this year we'll talk about him in a few minutes Uh, Drew 0-0 at home with Chelsea very good result got pumped 4-0 away by Villa that's their worst result of the season because Villa have not been good losing to Newcastle on a great run or Arsenal on a great run that's fair enough even if the scoreline is a bit a bit embarrassing but losing 4-0 to Villa is unacceptable Uh, Drew 1-1 at home with Wolves they'll be disappointed in that one because they went ahead and then conceded two minutes later Two two draw with Nottingham Forest again. They'll be disappointed because they went behind, came back, equalized, then went ahead, and then gave up a very very late own goal. And then they went to the Etihad and they beat Man City. Ivan Tony put them ahead. Phil Foden equalized, but then Tony with the late late winner to give them the win and almost got a third as well, because, you know, a little bit of injury time was played uh, beyond what had been initially stipulated. And they almost scored a third. They deserved that win. They were absolutely brilliant on the day. So you look at it, you know, the win against United, the win against Brighton, the win against City, these are really good results. The win over Leeds was a really impressive performance. The only knock on them is they've only won four games this season. Seven draws is an awful lot, but they've only lost four games. Now, they'll be a little bit disappointed with the Brentford and Villa losses, and they should be very disappointed with the Villa one in particular. Sorry, with the Fulham and Villa losses. They should be very, very disappointed with the the Villa one in particular. The other two, you know, Arsenal, Newcastle were in great form. Just be a little bit more solid at the back and you won't have that type of issue. They've scored 23 goals, so they're banging them in, but they have conceded 25, and that's a little bit of a concern for me. Uh, They're out of the EFL Cup. They beat Colchester 2-0 in the second round, but then went out on penalties to Gillingham. A little bit embarrassing. A little bit embarrassing, given Gillingham are dreadful. Um, Ivan Toney is having an absolutely outrageous season. 11 goals in 16 appearances, 10 in 14 in the Premier League. He has been brilliant. Now, he also leads them in yellow cards, which is less than ideal. He's got five yellow cards. He has served a suspension for that. He may well be about to serve a longer suspension because he has been fo- uh, found, or charged rather, he has been charged with... 232 alleged breaches of the FA's gambling laws and we wait to see what happens there we wait to see how that turns out but i wouldn't be surprised if we don't see ivan tony again this season it wouldn't surprise me if he got something like a six a six month ban i hope it's not any longer than that It's such a shame it's coming now with the form that he was in. Like last season, he played very well. He got 12 goals in 33 games in the league. This season, he's got 10 and 14 in the league. So he has really found this Premier League stuff agrees with him and he is absolutely tearing the league up. Last season, he should have been double figures assists. I think this season, he might well have ended up double figures assists. As an all-round forward, there's not many better than Ivan Tony in the league. I think he was left out of the England squad because they knew this investigation was ongoing and that those charges were, were forthcoming. But the, there's no way you're going to convince me that Callum Wilson's better than him or in better form. There's very few in better form than Ivan Tony. Now, going into the season they needed cover for Ivan Tony in case he got injured now it becomes something they have to do in january because he is going to get banned for this it's just a question of how long and that's one thing they're going to have to do in january is get in proper cover for Ivan Tony Maybe they should look at getting in a replacement for Ivan Tony and sell Tony in the summer. He'll still have a market. No question. He'll still have a market. But maybe the best thing for them, because they don't really do short term, they rarely do short term signings. I know they got Sanka, but generally when they buy a player, it's. With a long-term view. Tony's contract is up in 2025. With respect, he has outgrown Brentford. He's too good to be playing for a team that'll be in the mid the lower mid-table. He's a he's a European caliber player all day long. So I would be looking maybe to sell him in the summer. I would use January to find the guy to replace him. They definitely have a list. They're one of the smartest, best run clubs around. They definitely have a list. Buy him now, you'll get your money for Tony. You might you, you might even find someone that will give you money for Tony in January if you wanted to sell him, even knowing they couldn't play him for six months. I think if someone thought they were getting a little bit of a deal, they might do it. Other things of need. I like the goalkeeping situation. I'm not a huge Rea fan, but he's he's pretty good. Uh, Strakosh is very good. He hasn't played yet. Obviously, he's had some injuries. But um, I think they're, they're very well set in goal. I like Aaron Hickey. I think he's done well, but he's not a right back. He is a left back. They've got him and Rico Henry, which is a great tandem of left backs. I'd like to see them add a right back. You can still play Hickey there. Maybe you buy a starting right back and you have three starting fullbacks. New person, Henry and Hickey plays an equal amount of both. I think they need a centre back. More than anything, I think, other than the Tony replacement, I think they need a centre-back. Ethan Pinnock is not Premier League calibre. He's a championship-level player. Um, Zanka is past his best. Ben Mee has been pretty good this season. Credit to him. Pontus Janssen, for me, is a championship-level player. Uh, Christopher Ayer I like, but he, he doesn't stay healthy long enough. Sorensen isn't of the standard. Roarslev's a fullback back who's not of the standard. Uh, and Finn Stevens is a right-back who's out on loan at Swansea, but they can recall him. I don't know if he's ready to play Premier League minutes. I think they should be looking to bring in a right-back and at least one centre-back, plus the Tony replacement cover, whatever. I think everything else is fine. Goalkeeper's fine. Central midfield and wide area, I think they're loaded with talent. You know, in midfield, you get Norgard, you got Jensen, De Silva, Godos, Onjeka, Baptiste, Janot. There's loads and loads of talent there. In the wide areas, you've got Sergio Can- Sergio Canos, you've got um, Johan Wiesa, Brian Bomo, Keen Lewis-Potter, Mikel Damsgaard, he could also play in midfield. They need to be getting more out of him after the World Cup break as well. He needs to be playing more regularly because he is very, very good. And he could be a big difference maker for them. So, three players I think they need to find in January. If they want to keep playing the back three, and if they want to move to back four, you're probably okay with playing Hickey a lot more at, at right back. I just think when he's playing as a wing back, on the right, it doesn't suit them as much. But right wing back, it doesn't have to be a nailed on starter. Just somebody that can be in your rotation, can play, you know, two out of every five games, something like that. Someone better than Roslev. Just there, take that as your baseline. Someone better than Roslev. Um, They need a centre-back, though. absolutely need a starting, nailed-on centre-back. And they need to find that cover for... Ivan Tony, I like this team I love the manager I think Thomas Frank has done a sensational job since they brought him in in 2018 I think the work he does in bringing the team together in ensuring that everybody is working towards the same goal I think it's so important He obviously came to Brentford as uh, the assistant to Dean Smith, took over when Smith went to, um, to Aston Villa, and he's just gone from strength to strength with them. Improved them year on year on year, brought them up into the Premier League, kept them up without a whole lot of hassle. They had that one bad run, but they have not looked out of sorts in the Premier League at all. They've always looked from day one like they belonged in the Premier League. I think he's a very, very good manager. I think he's done great work there. I think the, the club itself is a model of what you would want your football club to be. And, you know, they like Brighton, they can, they can have a situation where somebody important to their structure leaves and it's just next man up. Somebody else steps in and takes control. You know, like they had a situation where Rasmus Ankersen had been their director of football for five years, had been vital in building their team. He, along with some others, founded a company called Sport Republic. Through Sport Republic, they went and bought Southampton, became the major shareholder then, and Gestapo. He resigns from Brentford. And then a month later, his his group are buying um, buying Southampton, and he's now the director of football there. But you wouldn't know that anything had happened at Brentford. They just carried on. They just had the people in place. Same thing with Brighton. It's what I love. Everybody who's listened to me talk about Brighton ever knows my admiration, my my fondness of Brighton. But Brentford are, like them, just an absolute model club that I think every club should strive to be. Yes, Matthew Benham and Tony Bloom are very wealthy, but compare their wealth. To that of, you know, people that own the top Premier League clubs, and it's a fraction of it, and yet they still, they still compete. Like Matthew Benham's net worth. Now, this obviously is not necessarily accurate, but his net worth here, according to this list, is thirty million. Now, I'd I'd imagine it's higher than that, but. Just say it is that. Like, Arsenal-Stan Kroenke is worth about 13 billion. Machiri that owns Everton's worth 3 billion. You're telling me Everton couldn't do what Brentford have done on a bigger scale? Of course they could, but they choose not to, because they're idiots. Same thing with Fulham. Now, they're doing well this season, admittedly. But there's no reason they couldn't have done what Brentford have done, what Brighton have done, with far less money available to them. I think it's incredible what Matthew Benham has done at that club. And I think it's for everybody to admire. Like I say, three things needed in January. I think they're going to be more than comfortable in mid-table. I have no concerns at all about them going down. None. None. We'll wrap with the gossip. Chelsea are ready to open talks with Leandro Trossard, whose contract at Brighton expires next summer, except it doesn't. They have an option to extend because they're a smart club. Saudi Arabian side Al-Halil are exploring a deal to sign Cristiano, which makes sense. Real Madrid Madrid say it would not make sense in our sports project to bring Cristiano back to the club because he's not very good. Flamengo are looking at whether they would be able to sign Ronaldo. No, they're not. Bernardo Silva believes Portugal teammate Ronaldo has... His name is Cristiano. It's not Ronaldo. Ronaldo's a Brazilian fella who played in the 90s and 2000s. Uh, Cristiano's proved he can still play at the top level. No, he hasn't because he was awful in the game. Cristiano and Lionel Messi could work together at the forefront of Saudi Arabia's 2030 World Cup bid. God, I hope not. Amancio Ortega, the owner of Inditex, which owns the fashion chain Zara, is interested in buying Manchester United. Let's have a look. He's 86 years of age. his company lost he he specifically lost around 10 billion as a result, a result of the pandemic he has no money at all invested in sporting enterprises i am going to go ahead and say that that is absolute nonsense Yeah, I'm going to go ahead and say that that's nonsense. Uh, technology Technology giants, Apple, are also interested in buying United. No, they're not. This is just the worst type of nonsense. Exclusive. Jeremy Cross, you are a spoofer, an absolute spoofer, and you should be ashamed of yourself for making up these flagrant lies, knowing that United fans will just click on them because they're desperate for anything resembling good news. Inter Milan will expend, extend the loan spell of R- Romelu Lukaku by another year. You might have asked ask Chelsea about that first. Uh, Chelsea are interested in signing Diogo Costa of Porto, who has a 75 million release clause. He's not worth a fraction of it. Uh, Arsenal are concerned about keeping hold of Mikel Arteta because Barcelona have set their sights on him. No, they haven't. Adrian Rabio says the World Cup could help could help him earn a new contract at Juventus. You've been pushing to leave for two years, so it's a bit weird. A growing number of clubs believe Germany striker Yusofa Makoko is ready to leave Bayern. Oh, sorry, Borussia Dortmund when his contract expires at the end of the season. It it does appear that it's leaning that way. Aston Villa are keeping tabs on Sevilla's Morocco international goalkeeper, Yassine Bono. Why? He's not very good. Real Madrid's Ford Rodrigo, may have to pay a termination fee of €7 million after splitting from his agent, Nick Arcuri. Uh, He shouldn't have to pay a thing for splitting from an agent. Barcelona are shifting their focus from new signings to contract renegotiations with the club's most talented young players at the turn of the year. Now, most of their young players are already locked down to um, long-term deals. Newcastle will rival Barcelona for the signing of Vasco de Gama's 18-year-old André Santos. Championship side QPR are expecting Michael Beal to leave the club to take over as the new boss of Rangers. That would be an odd move given he just turned down Wolves and said he was committed to the club. He will look like a complete pillock if he does that. Uh, Paris Saint-Germain are considering leaving the Paris de France and potentially moving to the Stade de France. I'm not sure why they'd do that. It would be empty most weeks. And it's also like... If we look at Parc de France, like where they play now is ideal for their fan base, you know. If they were to move out to Saint Denis, it's not ideal at all. It's it's quite how far is it out to Stade de France? For somebody to walk it, it's about three hours. It's an hour on the train. So if people are from the region of the Parc de France, now obviously if they're from other parts of of Paris, that's fine. But I don't know. I think you'd be be losing yourself and making it a lot harder for a lot of your fans. But then football clubs don't tend to care. So, you know, it is what it is. Uh, That's it. We will leave it there. 11 minutes plus stoppage time left in Netherlands, Ecuador, still 1-1. Hopefully Ecuador can hang on for that draw. I'll see you on Monday. Take care. Bye-bye. Podcast Network.